Welcome to episode number 252. Today's episode, we are talking about a very, very old traditional skill of how to make at home your own fruit vinegar. Now, most of us are very familiar with apple cider vinegar, especially raw apple cider vinegar with the mother. I've talked about that before, and most of us are go to the grocery store and you will be easily able to find apple cider vinegar. Sometimes you have to make sure that it is actually raw apple cider vinegar with the mother. There is unfortunately on store shelves where it says apple cider vinegar, but when you look at the ingredients, it is colored with caramel coloring and it's not actually apple cider vinegar. It's just made to look like it. So they can be a little bit sneaky that way. You do want to do a little bit of due diligence, but we're not talking about going to the store and buying your vinegar. We are talking about making it at home and not just apple cider vinegar, but how you can turn all kinds of different fruits into homemade vinegar. And it's compared to a lot of your home food preservation, which can require different things of equipment, like you to pressure can, you obviously have to have a pressure canner in order to pressure can. So there's lots of forms of food preservation that some of them we have to buy specialized equipment for. And some of them, the equipment just makes it easier, but you can still do it the old fashioned way in the case of like dehydrating. But when you are doing fermenting, which making your own homemade fruit vinegar is definitely a form of fermentation, you don't have to have a bunch of special equipment. You probably have everything that you need in order to make fruit vinegar already sitting on your kitchen shelves. And I feel like this is the perfect time to talk about this almost a lost skill. I don't know a lot of people who make their own apple cider vinegar, let alone all of these other fruit flavored vinegars, but this is definitely the time of year as most of us are just moving into fruit season, but really any time of year that you can get your hands on some fruit, you can make homemade fruit vinegar. So I am just thrilled to share this with you. My guest today is Autumn and you're going to hear Autumn's story is actually very fascinating and I plan on having her come back because I actually wanted to dive further into it, but we wanted to make sure that we got you all of the information on making your own fruit vinegar, some of the troubleshooting and things that you need to know. So welcome to this episode with Autumn from a traditionallife.com and we are just going to dive straight into this episode. Now, Before I actually get into this interview, you are going to want to be checking out some of the actual written recipes with the steps written down. I know when I'm listening and someone gives a recipe, I'm like, oh, I need that in written format. I don't usually I listen to podcasts. I don't know about you, but I usually listen to podcasts when I am out in the garden, I'm feeding the animals. A lot of the time when I'm driving or commuting, though right now during the pandemic, I'm not doing as much driving as I was doing previously or washing the dishes. You know, those household chores where you do not have a pen and paper handy. So you can go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 262. So the numbers 262, because this is episode number 262, and you will get a 
there will be on that blog post episode that accompanies this, there will be the written printable form. So you can hit jump to recipe when you land on that and you can go down and actually print that out. But there will also be links to my apple cider vinegar tutorial that you'll hear about that I have since updated. And you'll also see a link to Autumn's full book on making all of the different fruit vinegars and her favorite recipes and tutorials. So highly recommend that you go and check that out because there is so much good stuff. You're going to want to make sure you have that printed out and at your fingertips. Okay, now we're officially going into the interview. I am so excited to chat with you today about this topic. So Autumn Rose, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Melissa. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm really excited. One for our topic, because I've done actually just very little on making my own vinegar. I've only done apple scrap vinegar. I haven't ventured off into doing other, other forms of it. So I'm really excited to pick your brain and to learn more about this, especially as we're moving into the season when all of my fruit starts to come on. Strawberries are like one week away for me and then it's kind of everything else follows suit after that. But before we dive into that, I really love hearing the catalyst or the reasons because usually I found a lot of times most people are interested in doing the home, you know, doing homesteading, um, getting into, you know, whole foods and growing their own food and, and doing all of those things and from scratch. But I found that there's usually for people some type of catalytic moment that really propels them into it like full time. And I, I know there was for me and it was my health. And did you have a moment like that or did you just kind of always know that you wanted, you know, to kind of embrace this more old fashioned way of living? Well, I was actually raised on a farm and I, I was actually raised in a large family, 12 kids. So for frugality's sake, we actually kind of grew up doing canning and gardening. And we know we'd have whole days where the whole family would get together and we'd preserve corn or peaches. But like most country kids, you grow up, you have to decide what you're going to do with your life. And so I actually was kind of just pursuing a normal, I would say, urban lifestyle, working long hours, popping, you know, frozen food in the, in the oven when I got home from work. But then I actually started having some really severe health symptoms and we could not figure out what was going on. Um, but when I finally, finally did get a diagnosis, I discovered I had actually chronic Lyme disease. So for me, that was my... The doctors kind of reached a point with me where they're like, we can't help you anymore. Like, we don't know what to do. And so that definitely launched me into kind of the, the kind of back to the basics movement where I started experimenting with um, different foods and started learning about nutrition and that the vine to table, raising your own food was actually the healthiest way to go. I got into preserving that food. And it just built momentum from there. I keep a natural home now, make our own body care products, household cleaners. And it just, I just kept embracing whatever gave me positive results. And slowly it like led me in this winding path, full circle back to a traditional lifestyle, of getting back to the basics. Oh my goodness. Yes. I love that. And even though I did not have thankfully advanced Lyme disease like you did or chronic, I should say is, is the term that you used. Um, I found the very same thing. It was the food first and it was for health reasons. And when I saw the drastic change that it made in my health, it 
made me start to look at all these other things and be like, oh, well, if I change those to more, you know, natural and less processed, et cetera, what kind of results or what kind of damage is this doing? And, you know, and how can I combat that and move to something? And so, like you said, yeah, it's, it, it's so funny because I don't know about you, but I really started on this path like hardcore um, 10 years ago now. It's been a, a decade, even though I was raised in it too and had kind of gotten away from certain elements of it once I hit adulthood and marriage and working and careers and all that kind of stuff. But it's been 10 years and I am still learning so much <laughs> and I'm still implementing so much. And I'm just like, I, I'm like, the more I learn, I'm like, the more I know that I don't know and that there's more skills that I want to learn and I want to <laughs> conquer. And so I'm like, I feel like it's a continuant rabbit hole. Like, I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to reach that point probably where I'm like, oh, we've like, I've got it all down now. Cause I, oh, yeah. <laughs> you feel the same way. It just like, there's more things you just keep getting excited about and wanting to do. Always. And it's like different seasons of life. I'll find like I focus on different things more. And then it's like, okay, we move into a new season. It's like, oh, I really want to learn how to do this. Time to pull my learning boots back on and we're going to, we're going back in at it all. So yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Right now, my current obsession I, I'll just share is cheese making and like traditional oh, cheese yeah. making where you don't have to buy the direct set cultures. Yes. And, yeah. So I'm, I'm, my, <laughs> I've almost got my husband convinced to get us a milk cow and I am like so giddy. It's not even funny. So anyways, I know this is not an episode about any of that, but I just, I, it's always fun to get to, to talk to other people. Cause honestly, I don't know about you, but in my everyday life, uh, this sometimes surprises people. I do live in the country and very rurally and, and was brought up this way, but um, there's very little people in my family who do this to the level that my husband and I do it on either sides of our family. And even like within our you know, are people who live in close proximity. Um, and so I find it really fun to actually get to talk with other people who really get, you know, what you're going through that journey. So, so this is kind of fun for me and like another benefit of doing the podcast. I get to talk to people who, who get, who get this yeah. on, a, on a real level. So yay. Well, the topic that I first brought you on for and was excited to learn, um, not only myself, but to share it with everybody else who's listening. And that is talking about fruit vinegar. So what exactly is fruit vinegar and how does that differ from, you know, the, I think the two types of vinegar that most of us are most familiar with is going to be, of course, white vinegar and then apple cider vinegar. Um, but kind of dive into the fruit vinegar for us. Yeah. So basically, traditionally, your housewives would take fruit juice and instead of, you know, going to the grocery store and buying apple cider vinegar or now with canning, we use like the white vinegar, which is actually is like grain based. But uh, basically, they would extract their fruit juice and then they would let it ferment just in their kitchen or on the back of their counter. And the juice will go through two fermenting phases. And when it's done, you have you have a fermented vinegar product that has antioxidants and minerals, acetic acid, good bacteria. And it's just it's actually a really healthy product. If, if you're keeping a natural home, great thing to have around. And the process is really, really simple. So it's essentially just fermented fruit juice. OK, so it is a ferment because yes. when we when we get especially like white vinegar, which I think most people are super familiar with, that's usually the you know, cleaning vinegar that we use for cleaning it. Like you said, it, it's made, you know, from grains, usually corn and or wheat products. And then apple cider vinegar, which is pretty obvious it's made from apples as a base. Um, but unless you're buying the raw apple cider vinegar with the mother, yeah. uh, those other vinegars, they're not 
fermented, or I should say they're not a, at a live culture state by the time we get them is probably a better, better way for me to state that. Yeah. So this is a, a true ferment with the live cultures that are in it, which we know can be really good for us. Um, and it's made from the fruit juice, not yeah. with the whole pieces of fruit, correct? Yeah, I mean, you can use whole pieces of fruit. Um, there's different extracting, extracting methods you can use. But yeah, you, your goal is to get it down to just pure fruit juice. And then you let nature just take its course from there. Okay, so we don't actually need to, like, for, for example, when you're doing kombucha, you start with a SCOBY. So you have, it's like a starter culture. Um, but with this fruit vinegar, I'm assuming it's kind of like a sourdough starter, except we're not focusing so much on the yeast part. Um, but the, the live cultures and the good bacteria that we need to create the, the vinegar are already present within the fruit juice. They're within the fruit juice, and they actually just naturally exist within the air in your home. Your fruit juice is going to capture natural yeasts, and then it's going to also capture a bacteria. There's two fermenting phases, and yeah, it just happens naturally on its own. You don't have to introduce anything to it. It just, pure juice will do its magic, and you just let it sit there and do its thing. Okay, so walk me through, if I want to make fruit vinegar... Uh, you know, how, like, is there a specific volume? Does it need to breathe? How do we keep fruit flies out of it is going to be my next one because I know <laughs> with, with fruit, that's even when I'm making the apple scrap cider vinegar, that's one where I'm, I'm really um, conscious and cautious of making yes. get fruit flies in there. Um, so walk me through the fermenting process of doing the fruit juice to vinegar, kind of like, you know, a, yeah. time-wise too, like how many weeks for these different stages, et cetera. I'm assuming weeks anyways. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, walk me through it. All right. Well, the first thing you need to do is obviously extract the juice from your fruit. So, you know, whether it's berries, um, stone fruits, apples, pears, those types of things, there's basically three extracting methods you can use. So the first one, which a lot of people are familiar with, is just a cold press. So we know that like where I grew up in the fall, like neighbors would have like apple cider pressing parties and everybody would come in and they had a big press and a party, right? And it's just cold, fresh juice being extracted from the fruit. So you can do that with apples. Grapes are great for that. You can do that with soft berries. So that's great if you want to keep your juice in completely raw form, all the antioxidants, the vitamins. That's a great way to make a really rich vinegar. The other method you can use to extract juice from your fruit is with a steam juicer. So that's also similar to kind of the traditional way women used to make with their homemade jellies. They'd you know, put their, their fruit in a pot and add a little bit of water and then cook it for a bit and then strain the juice through a jelly bag. So that's a great method for your drier fruits, things like currants or um, apricots, different things like that. And then a water extraction is actually the last method. And it's actually one of my favorites. Uh, basically, you just take a jar, you fill it about two thirds full with fruit, and then you cover it with water. And it needs to be like a chlorine free water. Ideally, that it can sometimes inhibit the, the strength of your ferment. So you cover it with water, and then you just let it sit and infuse for about three to seven days. Strain out the liquid, hold on to your infused liquid, fill your jar with, you know, another layer of fruit, whatever you're using. You pour that infused liquid back in and you can just strengthen your ferment because you're kind of diluting it by adding water. So you can do a couple different infusions and then you just simply pour that juice, however you've extracted it, 
pour it into a food grade container. So I, I love doing it just in like my, my glass canning jars, anywhere from like quarts to, to half gallons to one gallon. I even have a five gallon crock I'll often make our apple cider vinegar in. And then you definitely wanna cover it with a breathable cloth for, for several reasons. One is um, your, your vinegar, as it ferments your fruit juice, it's gonna release carbon dioxide. So if you have it sealed up, that pressure is gonna build and it can actually explode your containers. They get bumped or whatever, so you don't wanna seal them up. And the other reason you want a cover on it is because of fruit flies, okay. like you said. <laughs> They drive me crazy too. So you definitely want to make sure it's sealed off very well so they can't get in. And then temperatures are really important for fermenting. Now you don't have to introduce any bacteria or starter cultures, but you do need to keep your juice in temperatures ranging from like 60 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit, which I'm in Celsius here in Canada. So that's like 16 to 27 Celsius. And if, as long as you keep them in those temperatures, natural yeasts which are found on the skin of your fruit but they are also airborne in your home they're going to come in and they start consuming the natural sugars in your fruit juice and they start converting the sugars to alcohol and this first step in the process it takes anywhere from it's going to depend on your sugar content but three to six weeks for like a, a half gallon jar of juice you're going to see bubbles on the sides of your container in this time. It's kind of like the first stage of brewing kombucha. Mm -hmm. It's very, very similar. So people are often like, I'm too intimidated. But I'm like, you do kombucha, you can do vinegar. So, yes. So, yeah. So it will go through the alcohol phase. And then when that's dying back, there is a group of bacteria that are going to come in. Again, a natural airborne bacteria group called the Cetobacters. And they come in and they take the alcohol that your natural yeast produce and they transform that to acetic acid, which is your vinegar product. And it will take probably about three to six times longer than the first phase of fermentation for, you know, to fully finish working and, and transforming all the alcohol to acetic acid. But when it's done, like that's really how simple it is, Melissa, you're done. You've got it. You've got your fruit vinegar. I love this. And so it's so funny when I did the apple scrap vinegar, which I've been doing, I was trying to think actually how many years I've been doing now. I think it's been like six or seven. And I didn't realize that was called a cold infusion. So as you were explaining that, I'm like, oh, well, that, that's how that is. Because I'm just using the scraps and I'm just pouring it with water, et cetera, just like you, the steps that you shared. But I didn't know that that was actually the technical name. So now I feel like official. Um, and I like you, I'm like, boy, that's the easiest to do. I do have a steam juicer too. Um, but that one is, is really easy. And I love that when you were talking about how long it takes, because I think as a modern society, even for those of us who are practicing this all the time, sometimes we tend to forget how long things take. We're very much spoiled that we get things right away. And so when people first start trying to make apple scrap vinegar, they contact me and they're like, well, it's been eight weeks and it still smells like alcohol. What's wrong with this? I'm like, well, it's just not, you just haven't had enough time. And I've had batches that have taken, I, it feels like almost six months before I really felt like it was a, a good, strong, reached what I would call like the finish stage, that it, that it was fully vinegar. Okay. Um, yeah. So do you have 
do you, have you noticed that it's just like fruits when maybe like, cause I've only been doing one, one pass with the water and the fruit and letting that infuse and then straining it off and then letting it go into its second ferment. So the sugar content is probably lower, obviously. And so that's probably why it took it longer. So do you just notice that usually the higher the sugar content in the fruit or, and the juice that that makes it turn into a full on vinegar faster? Uh, that's interesting, actually. Apples do tend to be one of the higher content, higher sugar content fruits. Um, but generally, I find actually that the more sugar there is, the longer it takes, actually. Generally, is what I found with the different types of fruits I've worked with. Just because there's more sugar to consume and then there's more alcohol for the acetic acid bacteria to work with. So I actually usually find it takes longer. But that, that's really interesting. I'll have to look into that, though. Well, and it could, be, I mean, with apples, one, I'm, I'm doing the scraps. So it's the peels right. and the cores for the most part. So there's not, a, you know, a, so I'm sure that affects um, obviously quite a, you know, a few things, like everything that it's taking off of there as well as sugar content. And I've only been doing one infusion. So it's just filling the jar okay. with the scraps and the water and then letting it sit for usually about um, like two to three weeks. I usually let it sit and I'll see, like you said, like all the signs of fermentation that's going on. So lots of bubble activity and the, the water starts to go from clear to turning cloudy, which when we're doing ferments is good, not good when we're canning, obviously, um, right. et cetera. And then I strain it off at about a two to three week mark and then, you know, let it, let it begin its fermenting process or the second ferment going on further. And then of course, you know, with apples, I think probably with apples more than if you're looking at berries, there's so many different types of apples and yes. that's going to really affect the sugar content too. Cause some of us like, you know, we'll go for like a honey crisp, which is a lot sweeter than say a granny Smith or, you know, et cetera. So I'm sure that that affects apples probably have more of a variance, I guess is what I'm trying to say yes. with the sugar content yeah. and then based upon what type of apple you're using. And if you're using the whole apple versus just the scraps of the apple. Right. So, but that's good to know. So you're finding then that the higher sugar, the actually the longer it takes. Yeah, and actually, one question with your your scrap apple vinegar. Once you've strained the apples out, do you put a lid on your container or do you leave it in breathable cover? Oh, that is a good question. Um, at that point, I usually put a lid on it that is not breathable. I don't tighten it down all the way, but it's not a cloth. That's why it takes longer then. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. I've troubleshooted here. <laughs> hey. Okay. So, so keep the cloth on it until yeah. it's reached the full vinegar part, even on the second ferment. And then you can put a, a, a so, so that you don't have as much evaporation after it's reached full vinegar stage. Yeah. Because like with the airflow, that's what's bringing your acetic acid bacteria in. So if you're limiting that, you're really diminishing their, how many can be in there active and working. So that's, that's, that's what I found anyway. If I put the lid on, okay. it like slows things way down. So. Aha, I've been litting it too quickly. Okay, good. I'm really <laughs> excited now. I'm like, ooh, I need to get, I want to do some, uh, <laughs> I want to go do some fun testing now. So, okay, this is, this is great. See, you're, you're totally giving me some, some tips here and lessons on my vinegar. So I'm excited. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Yay, yes. Um, so I do want to ask troubleshooting though, because mm. oftentimes, I have not experienced this, which I know is frustrating when, when people come to you for help and you're like, well, I haven't had that happen to me, so I, I don't know. Um, but I have not had, with my fruit 
scrap vinegar that I've been doing, I have not had issues with mold growth um, or really even cam yeast, but I've had other people who have started it, their ferment, and they're dealing with uh, mold growth and then, and, or they'll get a layer of cam yeast on the top. Are those either things that you have any experience with or any troubleshooting tips with to help? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of variables with molds. Um, one of them is like, obviously, if you have anything floating on the surface of your liquid, that's like a perfect landing pad for mold spores, obviously. So make sure, you know, if you are doing a scrap vinegar and you make sure you strain things out, you know, at the proper time, you don't leave them in longer. And then as well, often if people's homes actually have a lot of mold issues, it will often show up on the surface of their ferment. So what I tell people is make sure you have your fermenting vinegar in an area with really good airflow. Don't stuff it in the back of your pantry. Don't stuff it at the back of a cupboard. Leave it out on the kitchen counter where it's got good airflow coming past it because it's way less likely to mold. And then if you do get like cam yeast or often with vinegar, and I don't even know its proper term, but if you have like warmer temperatures and high sugar content in the fruit juice you're fermenting, you will often get like almost a half inch layer of like this bubbly thick scum. And that just skim it off. If it appears, take it away as soon as it does. And you shouldn't have issues with mold. So anytime you see like stuff developing on the surface of your liquid, especially in the first stage of fermentation in the alcohol phase, just be faithful to skim it off and you really shouldn't have issues if you do that. Okay, awesome. So what are the steps then of finishing off our vinegar, which I just learned that I need to make sure in that second ferment that I am letting it breathe so it can turn into actual vinegar much faster. <laughs> um, and then storing your vinegar once it is done, because right now it's on the kitchen, lots of airflow, but after it's turned to vinegar, what is our best uh, storage practices? Yeah, so food grade container, of course, because vinegar is acidic. So make sure whatever you have it in, it's safe, safe for you. So you're not putting things into your body that you don't want going in there. Um, but basically before, I like to store my vinegar actually in, I found some old like whiskey jugs at a garage sale and some old wine bottles. And I love storing my vinegar in those. They look so cool sitting on the shelf. And so I will just take, if, if my vinegar, I'm pretty sure it's done, it's moved through all the fermenting phases. I'll just take about a cup of the vinegar and I will just seal it up in a wine bottle, shove a little cork in the top. And I'll just put it at the back of my kitchen counter for a day. And then I will break that seal. And if there was a release of carbon dioxide, that means it's not ready to be sealed up yet. Again, you don't want pressure building in your containers, right? That can be really messy when, when the corks blow and they spew all over. I won't tell you how many accidents <laughs> I've had. <laughs> but just keep testing it. And you know, if, if, it, if you release that cork after a day, and there's no, no carbon dioxide coming off, seal it back up and put it at the back of your counter again. And this time do it for like three to four days. And if there still is no release, then you're good. You can bottle it all up, stash it away. And uh, then it's, it's ready to be used how, when, and, and where you wish. Okay. And I'm assuming that best for long-term storage, pretty much with anything, of course, the vinegar is shelf stable. Um, 
but you wouldn't want it in extreme heat or direct light. Yeah, ideally vinegar can be in a, a warm environment, but the warmer it is, the faster the acetic acid is actually going to mellow out. Okay. So I like to keep mine in my cold room and it's so good. Like I, I've had it last maybe like when I did a massive batch of apple cider vinegar, I maybe had it last for like two years, but as long as you keep it, you know, semi cool, it will slowly mellow. But I mean, yeah, out of direct light is a good idea, but it, it's really not too finicky in that regard. So, okay, cool. So with the fruit vinegars, what are the ways, because I'm assuming that you wouldn't use it to like as cleaners, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, so what's your favorite ways to use your fruit vinegar? Oh, there's so many things. <laughs> when I first started, I actually wasn't really thinking about anything other than we were trying to cut back on the cost of our grocery budget because we had just moved 1200 kilometers down through the province we were living and we were trying to save money because we really wanted to buy land, get into the countryside and, you know, have our own home out there. And so I was going through like our grocery list and being like, what, what can I DIY? What can I knock off? And lemons were one of the things I was using a lot in all our homemade condiments, salad dressings, dips. And I was like, I bet if I learned to make vinegar, I could substitute it in all of like all our condiments. And so that's actually what got me into doing it. So I make numerous different types of dressings, dips, condiments with it. It also is an excellent meat tenderizer, actually, if you marinade your meat in it. It gives it a really interesting, a really yummy flavor. Of course, in baking, it's excellent for helping cut back on phytic acid, even in your fermented recipes. To just add a tablespoon or two of apple, I like to use apple vinegar for that. Um, it, it really helps make your food more digestible with any baking or grain-based product. Um, I love I, I'm going on here, but I, <laughs> I love, okay. I love, I have a, a, I call it my gardening drink. And I know that sounds silly, but honestly, after a hot, hot day of working out in the garden and I'm just sweating and fatigued, I will come in and in like a pint jar or, or a 500 mil jar, I will put like one parts of a fruit vinegar to like three or four parts water. And I'll add a little bit of maple syrup to sweeten it up. And I'll just sit there and sip it for like five minutes. And I am like charged and ready to go again after it. it is the best like gardeners pick me up on the planet. The other day I gave some to my husband. He was out working and I gave him some and he's like, what is this? Ooh. I was like, it's pretty good, huh? He's like, I'm ready to go. I was like, I know. How else do you think I managed to do everything I do around here? <laughs> oh, I love that. And maple syrup itself has a lot of great um, nutrient components and, and every nutritional wise too that are, are probably helping with that. So I love that you've paired it together. Yeah, that and and home remedies. Vinegar is excellent for home remedies, whether it's like, fire cider, or you can infuse, you know, herbs in vinegar. Um, that's safe to do without issues of botulism. And my favorite is actually to make elderberry vinegar with fresh elderberries. That's one of the best home remedies on the planet. So we found a lot, a lot of ways. Those are some of the key ways, but we found a lot of ways to use it in the home. The longer it was around, the more we're like, wow, this is good stuff. 
Okay, this is fun. I am super excited now. I, uh, like I said, strawberries are coming on, and then the blackberries and the blueberries. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> envisioning all these different fruit vinegars because I've only done the apples before. I'm not. I don't know why. I guess I just didn't really think of branching out into. I have done cherry pit vinegar, where I saved all of my cherry pits that had, you know, just a little bit. They have, you know, a little bit of juice and not really much flesh left on them, but some. Um, and I've made cherry pit vinegar, which was actually really good. But that was more where I was infusing vinegar with the cherry pit. So I wasn't actually making the vinegar from the cherry pits, I should clarify there. Um, but that was really delicious too. Uh, so now I'm thinking, ooh, like making a full on cherry vinegar would be very fun. Just be careful because you will get addicted. If you're <laughs> anything <laughs> like me, two years ago, we, we bought land. Well, not even quite two years ago, but we bought land and we, we built our own house. So we're like, we're going to move up to the property because building goes way faster when you're right there. And we decided so that we didn't have to pay rent and a mortgage. We're like, there's a little like eight foot by 12 foot power shed on the land. And we're just going to move up and live in there till the house is finished. And so it was embarrassing, Melissa, we go to move up and I'm like, okay, but now last, like my, my vinegar needs to go up with us. And my husband's like, oh, okay. And he's expecting like, you know, a couple jars and a jug or two. And we start loading up the vinegar, Melissa. And I was like, I have a problem. Like three bins, jugs, bottles. I was like, what? I've become a crazy vinegar lady. I think that's just just the truth of it there. I was like, okay, okay. I'm going to limit myself to like six types per year. And I can't do any more than that because this is ridiculous. (laughs) Oh, I love it though, because I am a huge advocate of canning. Like I love canning. It's, it's one of my passions, but I love fermenting and dehydrate. I mean, like I really like all the ways of food preservation. I have to say canning is probably one of the top of my list if I'm being honest. But one of the things I love about the vinegar and what the ferments is you don't have to have really any special equipment. I mean, I use mason jars, you know, that, yeah. but, but you really don't have to invest in any special equipment and most of the work is done for you. I mean, it's the bacteria and the yeast that's turning it into. I mean, it, you're, you're you know, giving it the right conditions in the jar and et cetera and, and keeping an eye on things. But there's not really a ton of hands-on work. And then the storage-wise, like you're sharing, like I don't have to uh, store it in the fridge with the, with the vinegar like you do some of your other ferments or having a colder area for them that's like below 50 degrees Fahrenheit for long-term like sauerkraut and things. So I love that this is very low-cost there's not a cost barrier and there's not a huge equipment that you have to have. Most of us have glass jars of some type in our home that you could do this. And then, like you said, it'll just store on the shelf for years if you need it. But probably now that we know all of these awesome ways to use it, we'll probably go through it faster, (laughs) um, which is fun. I do have a question though, for those who might not have their own fruit sources, um, can you use store-bought fruit juice? I know you could buy your fruit at the store and make the juice from it, but if someone just went and bought store-bought fruit juice, would that turn into a ferment? It would, as long as it's pure juice. You know, there's not like preservatives and stabilizers. Um, where I live here, we're, we're in fruit country and, um, you know, lots of the fruit stands are selling like cherry juice and, you know, your fresh apple cider. And so you can definitely use, you know, store-bought juice, even if it's been pasteurized, 
but you just want to be careful about any additives. Just got to be your pure basic fruit juice is what okay. you want to look for. Okay. That's interesting because I was going to, I was, I was guessing you were going to say not if it's been pasteurized, but that you can still do it if it's been pasteurized. So that's good to know. Yeah, I mean, the basic components, actually, traditionally, when I was researching, I discovered that housewives would make their own, like, white vinegar from just sugar and water. And then to introduce natural yeast, they just throw a handful of raisins in. And that's how they made, like, their household vinegars, actually. So wow. you just need the liquid and the sugar, and the rest will happen. Oh, that is very interesting. So of all the different vinegar fruit vinegar flavors that you have made. Do you have one that's like an absolute favorite? Oh, this is a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would probably actually say plum is one of my favorites. Oh. Um, it has such, I love like deep, rich, bold flavors and plum vinegar is just incredible. You can make uh, one of my favorite actually salad dressings is made with plum vinegar and basil and it is so good so i would say plum and i, I can't pick just one i think okay. elderberry the blue elderberry vinegar would be my other favorite just because of how like it's just such a good immune support and for me that's huge so i i struggle to have a strong immune system so in the winter months i really often will rely on that to, to help keep me strong and Keep me away from the flus and the colds and everything that I'm more prone to catch. Okay. Well, I am excited that you said plum because I was just out yesterday in our orchard and I was thinning the apples and I had to thin a few of my plums. Ooh. And, but I'm having a, I'm going to have a, well, I should say, if nothing happens, I should have a bumper plum crop this year. And uh, so now I'm really excited because I'm like, ooh, okay, I'm going to reserve some of those plums and make some plum vinegar because that sounds fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. So Autumn, where can folks find you and connect with you um, and learn more about your story? Because I'm sure we don't really have enough time Maybe I'll just have to have you back on to dive into it. But I know a lot of people are going to be really interested, um, especially those that heard, heard you have chronic Lyme disease um, and the ways that you have been able to use traditional food and methods to help build back up uh, your immune system and to help you. Um, I don't know if recover is the right word, but maintain, maintain. There we go. There we go with that. Um, where's the best place for folks to connect with you? Well, um, you can find me on my blog, atraditionallife.com. And then under the same title, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest. Uh, just type in a traditional life and, and there I am. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing this. I am, like I said, I am really excited that I got to talk with you and learn all of this stuff before all of my fruit is really coming on. So I've got plenty of stuff that I can play with and experiment and making different fruit vinegars this year. So thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. That was so much fun. I hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I did and learned some great tips. Again, to get the printable recipe and all of those resources and notes, you can go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 262. And I look forward to being back here with you next week. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.